y'all, it's Betsy Orton with the Dickey Foundation, and you're listening to Dickey's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. I'm thrilled because my guest today is Mary Hart. Mary served 22 years with the Texas Army National Guard, achieving the rank of Lieutenant Colonel and including deployments to Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. During her service, she received the Bronze Star Medal and two Meritorious Service Medals. During that same time, she was an architect with Corgan, rising through the ranks to become principal and senior practice advisor. Thanks so much for joining me, Mary. Oh, you're welcome. It's awesome to be here. Awesome. Well, great. So for those folks who don't know you quite as well as I do, uh, tell, tell us about yourself, your time in the military, and how you came to be where you are. Wow. Uh, well, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's quite, a big question. That's a big question, quite a long story. <laughs> but uh, the short version of it was um, I wanted to go to college, didn't have the money to go to college, joined the Army, they paid for me to go to college. And so that required uh, a commitment, like an eight-year commitment in the Texas Army National Guard. Um, interestingly, the college that the scholarship came through did not have an architecture program. So I ended up going back to school, got my master's of architecture and I became an architect. And, and like you said, these are basically um, parallel careers uh, up until 2011 when I retired. That's really interesting to have really two very demanding careers at the same time. How did you, how did you decide to do that and juggle that and everything else? Well, at first, you know, the National Guard wasn't that hard. We weren't doing deployments. Um, you know, we weren't at war, I guess, made it, made it simpler. Um, but uh, once uh, we got into Bosnia for the peacekeeping mission in Bosnia, they started tapping the National Guard. Basically, they would tap a unit every five years to go on a, on a deployment. And so went to Bosnia five years later, went to Iraq five years later, went to Afghanistan. Um, the hard part about that was the train up prior because you would have to have, you know, five, six, eight months off of work prior to the amount of time that you were gonna be deployed also to get kind of ready because you know, when you compare the National Guard to active duty, you just don't have the same kind of time to do the training. And so you do very specific training for your mission during that time while you're still in country. So, you know, it was hard to juggle those windows of time where I was away from my job, um, lose projects, lose clients, get back and be like, hey, what am I gonna do now? <laughs> and, and, and hope that there was a project that I could jump onto. And so fortunately for me, there always was. So that was that was really kind of great. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been working since I was 14. I essentially put myself through school by joining the army um, and everything I've done, I've pretty much done it on my own. That's remarkable, it really is. And so what, what, was, the, what was the best thing about being part of the National Guard? Oh, it's the family. I mean, the soldiers are your family. And I have relationships with people um, and I may never see them, but I could see them tomorrow and it would be like seeing a long lost brother or sister. Um, it's, there's just a camaraderie. And it's, um, I don't want to use the word brotherhood, but it's, it's like that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you've all gone through similar if not identical experiences, you've learned a lot of things along the way. And, you know, if there's anything I miss, it's that camaraderie. For sure. Well, and what do you find to be the most misunderstood thing about, about our military or about our National Guard? Um, well, the National Guard specifically is quite interesting because the active duty uh, often would perceive the National Guard as, you know, that weekend warrior, right? <laughs> right. Um, many, 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 many years ago, they were the weekend warriors that drank beer, you know, at the armory. Um, that was <laughs> that's that's not what they're doing now. That's definitely not what they're doing now. These are by far top-notch soldiers. I had a um, a specialist who is uh, basically a soldier who's been in the military maybe four years, 
who had a master's degree. So what you don't realize when you get a National Guard unit um, in a deployment is that they come to the table, like myself as an architect, with a whole other set of skills and you know, even you know, full educations. Or they may have one rank in the military and they may be running a company of their own on the side um, for their, their civilian job. So I think that's probably one of the things that people don't realize is that people get into the National Guard because they truly want to serve. Um, but they also have a full-time job too. Well, that's, and that's really interesting. And also talking about, you know, the National Guard helped you, helped you go to, go to school, mm -hmm. um, and that sort of thing. So you do have a lot of folks who have joined National Guard and things like that because they can get their education paid for, that's but right. then you really do have this tremendously educated National Guard that is there, as you said, that's, that's wanting to serve. Right. Absolutely. So what would you say to someone who is thinking about following your footsteps and, and go, jo joining the Guard or joining one of the other uh, armed forces? I, I would say to be very, very sure that the, the special job you do in the military is something that either relates to your civilian career or it's something that can translate to a civilian career. Because you can get education benefits through that. Um, for me, I was a communications and IT officer. Mm -hmm. And so as an architect, it, there was an easy translation into like basically doing data center work because of the IT and the communications requirements and computers and things like that. Um, you know, military police, maintenance, there's all kinds of jobs in the, in the military that are super easily translatable. And so I think you have to think about you know, it's one thing to like show up the recruiter's office and sign on the dotted line and, and just let them send you on your way. You have to be specific and ask for what you want if, if you're going to get the most out of it. And so was that the exact job that you were thinking that you wanted? Absolutely not. <laughs> I got thrown into it. <laughs> so what job, what job were you thinking you wanted? I didn't know. Okay. I really didn't know. I knew I wanted to be an architect and I knew the military didn't have that. Or at least I didn't think they did. They do have the Corps of Engineers, but that's more like civil engineering. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, if I could go back in time, I think I would have been a civil engineer, not an architect, because I actually have, really have a passion for that kind of work. But, you know, again, I was young and naive. I didn't know. I just knew that I wanted to go to, I, I, I had to get a degree. That was my goal. Um, from there, I was kind of winging it. But <laughs> things really fell into place for me, so it turned out okay. Absolutely. It's a, it sounds like it. I mean, that, that's quite the career that you're having in, in a dual <laughs> career like that. That's amazing. So is there an experience that kind of really stands out, an experience or two that really stands out for you um, in your time with the military, maybe that really kind of touched your heart or changed how you did things, whether it was something here or abroad? Um, well, so when I first took over as um, company commander, I had a unit of about 140 people. There were 17 to 20 AWOLs every month. So just people not showing up. And um, I was able to get that number down pretty quickly. Found out a lot of it was because they weren't getting paid. And there was one soldier in particular who was very, very angry. And he and I had multiple conversations and he was, he was at his wit's end. He's like, I haven't been paid in three or four months. Why should I show up? I said, look, if you'll just give me 30 days, I'm gonna get you paid. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to solve this. I was like, I just need you to show up. Luckily for me, accounting worked with me. The finance <laughs> department worked with me. Um, and we were, we were able to get him paid. Um, he ended up staying in. Uh, I think he's just recently retired as a senior warrant officer. Wow. So this is a guy who was on the verge of getting kicked out of the military for being AWOL. 
but I knew that he had potential and I, and, and he was upset for all the right reasons. You know, he, he had every right to not show up to work if he's not getting paid, but the army doesn't really work that way. You know, um, you know, it's just like, they just expect you to take it and it'll eventually get there, mm-hmm. which it will. But I think that's one of my proudest achievements is having him, um, stay in and become such an amazing soldier. Um, so there was one other experience too that is, is quite strange, but we were, um, I was battalion commander. We were prepared to respond to uh, a potential hurricane hitting the coast mm. here in Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, my soldiers were just frustrated. We'd been sitting around, you know, pallets were loaded, everything was ready to go. They were ready to go do their mission. And they were just anxious and frustrated. And I said, I, we had, I pulled them all into a formation. I said, look, the worst thing in the world that can happen is for you to have to go do a mission today, because that means somebody lost their home. They could have lost a family member, lost their dog, lost their business. Um, city could be completely underwater. Things could be really terrible. So go get your cards or, or get on your phone, whatever it is that you want to do. I don't care. You're trained and you're ready to go. The equipment's ready to go. Just chill out. And maybe we can all just go home and not have to do anything, which is contrary to this, you know, I'm a soldier. I have a mission. I need to go do it. But they needed to know that we were only there just in case because, you know, we didn't want that hurricane to hit. Well, and I spent some time working for the American Red Cross younger in my career. And again, a lot of disaster response there, whether it's Katrina or Rita or any of the other dozens of hurricanes that hit during the years I worked there. I mean, you all, I mean, while we talked about deploying to Bosnia and Iraq and Afghanistan, which is, you know, obviously that that is a much longer distance than our Gulf Coast or something like that. Sure. Talk to me a little bit more about the work that, that the National Guard does here in Texas. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, for the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're recruiting for that frequently. But um, in, in Texas, so the difference between the National Guard and active duty in the, in the reserves is the National Guard works for the governor. The reserves and active duty work for the president. And so any type of scenario where there's assistance needed by the National Guard, um, the governor c- can call them out. So the most recent example of that is is there were many, many soldiers that were deployed to vaccination sites all over Texas mm-hmm. to help support that effort, whether it be just controlling traffic or actually administering vaccines because they've got medics, they've got you know military police and all of that. And so that's an example of the kind of things that they do. Disaster uh, assistance, of course, is, is a big one. Um, when those things happen. But well, and that right there is what you're talking about, you know, kind of having a career that, that ties into your National Guard service. When you've got folks with that medical background, right. they're the one putting COVID vaccines in arms. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's a really nice, nice parallel there. So kind of how has it been for you just finding success in two professions that are so male dominated? I mean, between, <laughs> between military and architecture, those are, those are male dominated industries. Yet sure. You have been tremendously successful in both. Well, it's, it's ironic. In the military, um, I really never ran into a whole lot of struggle being mm-hmm. a female. As long as I held up my end, I showed up, I proved that I could do my job. And because I was in communications, it wasn't like I was doing infantry type jobs. And that was not even allowed back when I was in. They've since changed that. But in the military, you just have to be competent. Um, there's, there's some risk with, you know, being deployed with a whole lot of men and very few women. <laughs> um, you just have to 
be careful with some of that stuff. I would say the architecture construction profession is uh, significantly harder. There's a lot of kind of good old boys clubs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, you either have to put on that persona or you have to figure out how to survive within that persona. Mm -hmm. um, the good news is not every client is that, that like that. So working for like, for example, like the data center clients, healthcare, um, education, some of these clients, like they just don't, they don't even seem to notice. Again, if you show up and you're competent, you're, you're good. The most ironic thing is that when I was in one of those situations where, you know, the guys were trying to determine if I was up to the challenge, the minute they knew that I knew how to handle a 50 cal weapon, I was good to go. <laughs> so did you just pull it out of your purse? No, <laughs> no. But it's the fact that you know, oh, you were in the military. Oh, you actually deployed to a war zone. Okay, well maybe you're maybe you're different from some of the other women we've encountered on the job site. So yeah, it did open some doors for me. I have to I have to be honest. It did. Well, I mean that that that's a wonderful thing. I mean, and particularly for women, you know, that I'm sure that, you, that you're mentoring and you've got other women that are at Corgan that are coming up through the ranks there and working with them to, to, to help them. Sure. Um, so now you lead Corgan's uh, corporate social responsibility program. So tell me kind of how Corgan gives back and really why giving giving back is so important to you. Yeah, well, that, that program's evolved quite a bit. Uh, we've always been uh, very generous with the community. On our 75th anniversary, we did, we called it 75 days, 75 ways. And so if, instead of throwing a big party, we, across all of our different offices, um, did volunteer work, 75 different things on 75 different days. Mm -hmm. So that's always been a big component of, of our culture, giving back. Um, you know, the other side of that is really about the environment. And our approach to design is not to think of uh, environmental design, sustainability, you know, the, some of these other pro programs like LEED and, and the third party certifications. We don't think about those in isolation. We think about good design. And so good design means that you're controlling daylight and you're managing your air conditioning systems and your power systems in a way that it's going to save the owner money and save energy and save water down the road. So it's, it's a part of just the design process. And, um, when we were doing the CSR program, it's not, it's not really a, it's evolved and kind of spread out and it's, it's become integral to the studios now. So we don't really have a dedicated program where there's like eight people in the room trying to figure out what to do. It's now part of the corporate culture. And so, um, it's very much driven up from the bottom and from the top and they, people just, you know, they just see the value of being a part of that community, but, you know, also preserving the environment as well. So that's really what kind of wraps around that. That's very cool that, that, that you all are doing that. And so you and I got to meet each other as you're volunteering and I, I'm a huge fan of volunteering. I think it's where you meet the best people, best friends that automatically you've got something in common uh, that, that you're caring about the community. So what are the projects that you're that you're really passionate about right now? Well, um, you know, I'm I'm doing some work for an organization called At Last, and uh, it's with uh, a gentleman who is actually in charge of the board at Parkland and he's developed um, it's basically like a boarding school. These students can go on, they go on Sunday night to this place and they actually go to their actual school during mm -hmm. the day, but then they go back to this place after school and they have um, counselors there. And the, the counselors are there to help teach them life skills. Mm 
-hmm. Not so much about have you done your homework today, but life skills, how to manage your time, you know, how to uh, organize yourself so that you can get your homework done. And the school was developed for kids at risk. And I think it's grade uh, second grade through maybe sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And so they've currently got eight kids in the program right now. Because of COVID, they're not spending the night. Sure. But the facility is set up to accommodate that. And even with an apartment for like a house mother. Mm -hmm. So it's, pre it's really a pretty neat program. Um, and, and it came out of this passion of the guy who, who built this program because of the struggles he had. If you think about, you know, a kid at risk who's at home, you know, maybe the child's mom is working nights. Um, maybe there's loud neighbors or even loud people in the house, parties, who knows what's going on? You know, does the kid have access to just simple quiet time to do their studies? Mm -hmm. um, what they found in that very in the very first class is that within the first, I think, two weeks, these kids had grown more in terms of their ability to study and do homework than they had in the past two or three years. That's remarkable. So it's a really fascinating program. And well, it, it sounds like it's really giving the kids a, a sense of stability. I mean, obviously, right. COVID changed everything, it changed the entire world. Of course. But the whole idea that they have somewhere safe to go after school, where they will get that after school snack, where they can get that, mm -hmm. um, get that help, get those life skills you talk about, because the, a lot of times these home environments may not be stable and may right. not um, be consistent for them. Yeah, exactly. And the counselors, they actually built a, a tech. And so the counselor, if, the, if they notice that the child seems a little bit depressed, they'll talk to them, find out what's going on, you know. And so it's, it's more than just, here, let's go do your homework. It's a very integrated approach to building up competence, skill sets, um, and preparing them to move on. And, and the hope is that, you know, because they're catching them at this, that perfect age, right, perfect age for learning, then as they move on into their senior years in school, they'll just do a better job and they'll be more prepared to be a part of society. What a cool program. I, I love that you're involved in that and, yeah, and really neat. helping people. So so you, you've obviously spent a lot of time helping people. Who are two or three people who really helped you and really influenced you? Hmm. Well, I need to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have, I have a, a variety of different people that, um, have just kind of been in the right place at the right time when I was down. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like they would just sort of say the right thing. And, and you know, I, I do kind of believe the universe does things for a reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can say it's God or, or, you know, whatever your belief system is, but there's a, there is some kind of a higher power power that puts a brick in the road or opens it up for you. And I feel like sometimes I've had a lot of bricks but as soon as I hit the brick, something else happens mm -hmm. and, it, and it really changes it for me. So um, I, I, uh, for a while there, I was, I was just burned out at work and I was volunteering a little too much <laughs> and had to take a break. And so I met this lady who did, um, she, it's called yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. And um, her, her whole approach is about just mind body centering and getting out of that emotional turmoil and not over-rationalizing, but finding a way to kind of be in the middle. And she, she's been a huge help. And so, you know, not so much a, a mentor, but we could have conversations and I'd be really like, I'm so mad about this thing. And she's like, well, what are the facts? Like, like really, <laughs> like what, what are the actual facts of it? And talk through it and you go, oh yeah, you're right. I really don't need to be worried about that. So having people to kind of put stuff into perspective 
is, has been great. Um, when you're when on when you're on the roller coaster of working hard and volunteering hard <laughs> and just wondering like how am I ever going to survive this, you know? So that's that's been a that's been a big help just to have. Um, I don't know. There's a there's a certain part of that that community that's just very supportive and helps you be like, okay, just take it for what it is and move on. For sure. For sure. So what do you think the most important thing you've learned so far in your life is? Oh gosh. You've still got plenty of years ahead of you, but yeah. but I know you, you've certainly been <laughs> through a lot. So what, what do you think the most important thing is you've learned so far? Well, I learned to not be that aggressive captain. Okay. Talk to me about that. So 10 years into the military, I had just joined Corgan and we were on a on a leadership retreat, or a, I guess it, maybe it was a team retreat because I wasn't in charge of anything. I was just an intern. And I remember, you know, our studio director who eventually became CEO of the firm um, had a whiteboard and he's talking about stuff, leadership, and, you know, it's a team retreat trying to improve morale and all that. And I'm like, well, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I lead 140 people and I've got, I have to sign for $300 million worth of equipment and you've got this all wrong. Brand new intern telling the future CEO <laughs> how wrong he was. Um, hindsight 2020, I've learned to be uh, quiet more, uh, more gentle and soft and not be that army captain. Because when you're an army captain, you own the world. It's like the best job ever because you're, you're right there in the perfect role um, to lead you know, the right amount of troops where you're still in connect with them. You still have like, you know, senior leadership kind of guiding you, but you're really, you know, you get the mission from above, you're leading the troops, you're calling the shots. You know, it's the best job ever in the military. Um, and so, yeah, losing that arrogance has been helpful. Learning just to be calm and listen for clues before I just jump in there and tell them what I think was a huge lesson. <laughs> it's come with age. I just have to be honest. <laughs> I, I know. I, I do think time tempers uh, tempers does. a lot of us. So. Well, and you see you see the outcome of that, and you go, ooh, maybe that's not exactly how that should have gone. <laughs> so true. So mm -hmm. true. So so what's next for you? Oh my. Well, I am. I'm in an interesting place in my job right now. Um, you know if. If I could do what I really wanted to do, I think I would um, quit my job and build a vertical farm or something, you know, but I'm not independently wealthy, so I can't really <laughs> do that. But I, I, you know, I have a real passion for gardening and, uh, you know, I, I built a studio during COVID, mm -hmm. a little small studio off my garage space. And, um, you know, every morning I make a point to spend time in the garden. In the evenings I go paint, read, you know, I think, you know, next for me is stop working so hard. You know, I've worked two jobs my whole life, and um, I've been working since I was 14. And so, you know, at what point do I allow myself to just enjoy the day and smell the roses and not worry so much about all the rest of the things going on? Absolutely. It's not, it's not to be irresponsible, but self-care matters. It does. It does. <laughs> and I think, I mean, a lot of us saw, particularly during COVID, that self-care became something that, that we were talking about and that mental health was something that we were all talking about and yeah. um, that it's important that you're taking care of yourself. And so I do think it's important that you take time to just be. Yeah, for sure. So at, at the end, we, we flip it kind of around to, uh, to Dickies. And I've got to ask, what's your favorite Dickies meat and favorite Dickies side? Oh my. 
<laughs> hmm. Well, it's always going to be the brisket for me. So yeah, a little story about me. One of my first jobs, I worked at Smoke It Barbecue in Euless. Okay. And our t-shirts said, we smoke it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> I was 14, so I wasn't doing anything illegal. I'll just that. Um, I think, uh, what, mac and cheese? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mac and cheese fan. All right, so we go into our lightning round. I'm going to give you two choices, and oh, you're going to give me your favorite. Okay. All right, barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Ooh, jalapeno. Sweet or unsweet tea? Hmm. Uh, unsweet with with a sweetener. <laughs> Just a little slender. <laughs> yeah. Trying trying to be worried about the sugar. I don't, like, so I don't like the way sugar feels on my teeth. <laughs> there you go. All right, chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Oh, sliced. Uh, sauce or no sauce? Definitely sauce. Okay, brisket or pulled pork? Brisket. And last but not least, ribs or wings? Mmm, wings. All right, good choice there. Thank you so much for joining me, Mary. Uh, Mary Hart has been my guest today on Dickie's Doing Good. Thank you so much for your service, for everything you do for the community, and for joining me today. You're welcome, and it's been great to be here. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community. Mm-hmm.